do you think it does it change year to year or like as the season goes or they have no, a, there's this, a favorite this, this, this is pretty much for the entire year i was there and i hmm. also experienced the same situation when i was in some of the bigger cities hmm and it was the what same it, genre pretty much throughout oh man i mean an american genre yeah, I mean, my my first guess, like what just popped in my head, is jazz. Oh, that that would have been nice, but that was not the case. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what? my that's 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 my background. No, what what it occurred to me that the Irish really wanted to hear when mm-hmm. push came to shove. Yeah, what they really wanted to spend two or three hours of their evening listening to was American country western. No. Yes. Like classic throwbacks or yes. or no, current. Not, not current. No. Yeah, you know, they didn't know who Faith Hill was or Tim McGraw. Mm, okay. But man, they wanted to hear Oki from Muskogee. <laughs> they wanted to hear Merle. They wanted to hear Johnny. They wanted to hear Hank. Wow. And virtually interesting. Yeah. You know, and this this didn't matter which session band I was playing with because there were there were different ones all over mm-hmm. the place. You know, you'd play for an hour. You'd do the trads. You'd you'd, mm-hmm. you'd wander through all the all, all all the great Irish tunes. Then gradually you discover, oh, they're throwing in some country western, and then now there's more country <laughs> western. Now there's bit. more country western, and then for the next two hours or until they were done playing at midnight or whenever, it was all country western. Interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I got I got real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I already knew a lot of these songs, right. but it kind of fascinated me that I had to travel, you know, four thousand or five thousand miles <laughs> just to play American country western again. Yeah, like not. The, I'm sure that was your last guess. That was my last guess. There's no way I would have guessed that. Maybe I. I would have guessed maybe folk music. I, I would have guessed American pop music. Yeah, well, that was I, my, that was going to be my second guess. I I would have thought they were play. They 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 they'd be playing a lot of pop tunes. And mm-hmm. every so often, one of those would sneak would in. Would sneak in. Okay. But but in general, it was it it, it was hardcore. Like I said, it it was not modern country. It was it was outlaw country. It was it was Johnny Cash. It was right. Now I wonder how much that has to do with maybe some of the cultural crossovers of that era. And also maybe the dance influence because you have Irish step dancing, right? right? And that's going to lead itself similarly into things that we would do in America like square dancing or two-step or those kinds of things. So I wonder if there's, if there's a cultural cross. Could, could very well be. Now, that was right at the point that river dance had sort of taken over mm, the, the, okay. the, the world's attention. And oddly enough, I remember sitting one time in one of the bars and and uh, one of the uh, the – uh, the the Yulin pipe player, which is mm. kind of like a, which is a, 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 a it's it, it's a pipe, but it's not you don't blow into it. You actually play. He, okay. he was actually talking. He actually was talking about well, we normally stop playing trad at this point now, but we're gonna play a few more pieces because you know river dance. Because river dance. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> river dance was so high at was, that point, yeah. and, and virtually it was it was it was the thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they were playing a little more. Um, I think I only saw Irish step dancing one time when I was over there. And that, and, oh, that, really? and that was it. That was an event at one of the one of the so, social halls, and they, mm-hmm. they, they, they of course tried out the the five or six young children. They did the step dance thing, right? And, well, I think it's you know it's I've seen I have not seen river dance in in uh, person. Right. I've seen of course videos, but okay. I've have seen you know a full scale Irish step dance production. It's actually one of the things that got me into dance originally. Oh, cool. uh, aside from it's very elaborate. It's very elaborate. It's very high energy. It's very yep. entertaining. Yep. Um, and I, I would imagine the people that you were, you know, rubbing shoulders and elbows with there were really proud. They were incredibly proud. The that, fact that the, basically mm-hmm. between that and that was not long after Titanic came out and there was the, there right. was the Irish scene in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there was definitely a very strong sense of pride mm-hmm. that, that Irish music was sort of conquering the world at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think it's similar to, to any locality, right? Yeah. Like if there's something that's from your home and it yeah. goes into the the national spotlight 
that there's this, this sense of pride and, and ownership yeah. in a way, right? And, and what I learned very quickly was that they could say something bad against about Michael Flatley, but I couldn't. You could not. Yeah. <laughs> he's our boy. <laughs> even, even though he's from Chicago and right. you know, had spent maybe 20 minutes in Ireland in his entire life, he was still, you know. He's that's, Irish. That's our guy. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, like you said, you look like the Lucky Charms guy. I don't think I don't agree with that, but uh, I have red hair. Yes, I look I look like the Lucky Charms. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I also oh not anymore. I don't have any hair now, but uh, you know, if you can see in the beard, I had red hair growing up, and a lot of people just automatically assumed that I was Irish. And we yeah. did we did my uh, I've done my twenty three and me. I have almost none. I have about fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. I have mostly Scottish. When I mean, actually, there's a lot mm. of red people in Scott. Scotland too, mm-hmm. but yeah. It, and though oddly enough, I do have distant relatives not far from from uh, from where I was staying in in mm-hmm. Ireland. And I kind of tracked them down. And um, part of the problem was my Irish relatives were the wrong kind of Irish relatives. Now, what does that mean? Wrong kind of Irish. They were basically. First of all, it's hard. It's hard to separate, particularly in the northern part of, of Ireland. Right. The the Scottish influence because there's so mm-hmm. much there's so much back and forth. Mm-hmm. But the reality was. My Irish relatives came, uh, arrived in Ireland from Scotland in the 1600s. I see. They, in fact, they would always refer to me, oh, he's that planter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, right. But, but it was always kind of like, you know, he's yeah. – so, so even, even though I had relatives in that area, they were always kind of the, the – yeah, they, they, they didn't descend from mm-hmm. the right Irish. They, they, from they, they the descended right from Irish. The, from the Scots-Irish. And, you know, it's interesting because we were just talking about – stereotypes not existing yeah. you know that we would imagine but I, it sounds like that that stereotype or the, some of those things that we hear stories about oh. is very real what, what, one thing i did did learn uh, my my grandmother who was most mostly scottish so she had a little irish in her used to always um hold grudges mm. for mm-hmm. a long periods of time and she'd say well that's how you did it in the old country and I would, mm. ah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. well yeah you know Mm-hmm. In fact, one time I actually had had supper with a, a certain family's house, and then all of a sudden the next day other people wouldn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, well, why? Well, it's because you shouldn't have had supper with blah blah blah. Oh, really? Why? Well, back in seventeen eighty seven. Oh, come on, seriously? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she was right. Yeah, a, a, a grudge does not get good until the second century, <laughs> or third century, third century, or fourth century. Well, and I, you know, I, I can imagine. Some of those, some of those grudges, you know, there's one thing to have dinner with the wrong person. Some of those grudges are are based on things that are, oh her, yeah, her, absolutely horrific, horrific I mean, things, yeah, that horrific did indeed things. happen 400 years previously, right? And I, but I can just see the, you know, the the ripple effects of that, you know, I mean, just going back to a lighter subject for a moment, but like St. Patrick's Day has all this myth yeah. and legend surrounding it, but that's, you know, there was a real, real events that happened that we're still celebrating. Though there, there is kind of fascinating to me that, that in, in a lot of ways, I, I would say, well, how come you're not doing X for, for St. Patrick's Day? And they'd say, right. that's, that's a yank thing. That's a yank thing. Yeah, it was, it was all about, you know, n- n- not that Americans had, had ruined St. Patrick's Day, but mm-hmm. clearly the diaspora in America had changed it dramatically mm-hmm. from what it traditionally was. Now, that said, you know, I've seen recent photographs and stories that clearly now the Irish are saying, well, well, if the Americans are going to party and get drunk, we might as well too. We might as well too. So we'll take advantage. It, it has changed. Mm-hmm. But certainly for, 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 for generations, it was a very somber, mm-hmm. very religious-oriented holiday. Yeah, sounds more like Easter. Exactly. So what would a typical... St. Patrick's Day look like 
in in Ireland when you were there? Like, what's a what's a day a day in the life of an Irish St. Patrick's Day? Basically, what I what I experienced. And of course, I was I was only there for one St. Patrick's Day. Okay, <laughs> but what what I experienced this was in 1999, early 1999. Oh, okay, what my experience was: everyone went to church in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then there was actually a procession through town, but not a parade. Not a parade. It was a procession. It was led 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 by several local priests. A lot mm. of the folks who were dressed nicely, and everyone, everyone, and you know, no singing, no dancing, mm. no, basically through town for the re- for 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 an hour or so. Then a lot of folks actually went to another mass mm. in the afternoon, and then a lot of the people get families gathered, okay, and had special meals. Mm. But and um, the bars were indeed open. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? And I think people went to the bars that evening and played music and did kind of the normal thing. Hmm. Now but there wasn't anything there, there wasn't anything out of the way other other than perhaps the the procession the procession through town. And everyone's wearing green, or is that that's a Yank thing? No, the ever 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 no one was wearing green. No one was wearing. They green. were all dressed. The, the, the people in the procession were all wearing their their church clothes. Oh, interesting. So, so the whole wear green or get pinched—that's all—that's all America putting its stamp. On as far there. as I can tell, yeah. Interesting. It's about as Irish as traditional Lucky Charms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they don't eat that for breakfast every day in Ireland. No, no. Though I did, I did see it in, in some of the stores. So apparently, some people eat it, but so the they Irish like their sugar. They wouldn't necessarily consider that offensive. <laughs> no, no. Now. When you were there, you're talking about the the traditional music and the songs. Uh, a lot of those are based on like old folk tales, yeah. right? So, were you able to like learn any of those, or were there ones that really stuck with you, and why? Um, what I found interesting, is from a music, musician standpoint, mm-hmm. is that all the songs were essentially the same song with different melodies. <laughs> okay. Um, basically, they'd be, for example, I mean, there's there's a reason why penny whistles are in the key of D, because ninety eight percent of the songs over there are in the key of D. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. if they're not, they're in the key of A. That's the, uh, and, and basically, what they would do is, is they would start a song, Mull of Kintyre, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the song is, in 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 D, and then about halfway through, they'd morph into another song, also in D, mm-hmm. and then another, and you you could. It was almost kind of like Indian raga music, and the one song would last like, you know, an hour. Right. Um, they don't like. They don't, okay. They all like a good a, a good rendition of Danny Boy, mm-hmm. but they don't want to play it very much. But they don't want to play it, yeah, because it's overplayed. <laughs> I yeah, would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. And and most of the songs that we know are are songs that you very rarely hear over there. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the four or five that I kind of tried to learn that well, I got to learn something flute before I go there. Mm. I don't think they ever played. Really, um, and they they do like. You know, it, here's a connection. So I, I I I grew up playing a lot of jazz, mm-hmm. and, and one of the ways that the jazzers would differentiate between people who shouldn't be on stage with them is they'd call <laughs> kind of weird, unusual, odd songs. Okay. Or in those cases, in jazz cases, weird key signatures, weird mm. tempos, signature, something that you're not yeah. used to. Say, get it, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, they would do that at the session deals, mm. at the sessions, you know, the the the, 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 uh, the pub bands, mm-hmm. by calling weird, by calling very obscure songs. Okay. There was a there was a famous Irish harpist named Trillo O'Carolan who wrote a great many famous tunes, but he also wrote like 9,000 unfamous tunes. Unfamous tunes, yeah. And, and you'd be there, and all of a sudden they'd go, Oh, Carolyn, 
you know, my bunny lass in the what? And you're, you're out and uh-huh. you see people like scrambling. What is that Scrambling. One? Is that one? Uh, what's it? Usually, one person would know the melody. He just, I've got the melody. They, <laughs> they play the melody, and then, then I mean, the key never changed, so you could, mm-hmm. you, you weren't totally lost. But they were, there was a lot of dancing around like that. And and how many obscure pieces by O'Carolan do I know? Or how mm-hmm. many? You know, like and that's how they cast it. Their picking order. And then same song or similar song with a different melody, different lyrics thrown in there. Yes. So how often were you playing the saxophone versus the flute during these sessions? Because I imagine oh. the sax doesn't really fit into the timbre of the, the Irish band. Well, okay, so in, in a typical Irish fashion, and, and granted, there were flute players over there who were better than I was. Mm. <laughs> they would often say, ah, hey, hey, grab that shiny thing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd say, and... And one thing they liked, particularly as we were kind of morphing into country music and, and things away from traditional, was they actually wanted to hear improvisation. Oh, interesting. And they'd say, hey, play sax on this one. Mm-hmm. Grab your sax one. And so I'd grab my sax one and play. Yeah. And, and every so often, they'd just say, hey, we're not going to play. We just want you to improvise for a while. Just, just improvise? Yeah. Fun. And then they'd go get drinks, and I'd sit there. <laughs> I'd, I'd play a couple of improvised jazz tunes a cappella, mm-hmm. and yeah. they'd and they'd be they'd, they'd be hoisting a couple while I did that. And that was that was their break time. Right. Yeah. You know, they really wanted to hear that. And actually, there was a strong appreciation for most musicians I met over there of American jazz. Mm. They understood it. Mm. Um, I think what it, what it came down, and, and some of them actually enjoyed playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience, though, wanted to hear country mm-hmm. western. Certainly, so by about ten o'clock at night, it was. I'm, I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my cups, as they say. Right. Yeah. Sing, sing, sing me a sad song about you know love, love, love lost, and, uh-huh. and, and we'll go with that. Oh, my darling, Clementine, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Something, <laughs> some, something really sad. You know what's a an interesting song from that genre that I always think of as a happy song that I didn't realize was such a sad song is uh, "You Are My Sunshine." Yeah. I, I recently listened to that and w- was following along with the lyrics because we were trying to sing it to our daughter. Uh, you know, like, oh, we'll, we'll learn the whole song because you know, we just know the chorus. That's such like a nice song, like, oh, you are my sunshine. I'm reading through that, it's a sad song. It is, yeah. Well, it's, well, it's, well, it's kind of like uh, if, if you read all the different verses, this land is your land. Oh, yeah. It starts off very patriotic. It, uh, very, mm. Yeah, and then, then, then about two or three choruses, it's like, whoa, this is kind of dark. Dark, yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun, too. Uh, a lot of music, and it sounds like you were playing a lot of that there. It's in a major key, yeah. the music, but the lyrics are, yeah. are are either really dark or sad or somber mm-hmm. or something like that. And I, I mean, I think you can see in Irish culture that would be really prevalent oh, yeah. for the history that they've gone through. And it's also very prevalent in American culture Absolutely. because of the, and we share that, that kind yeah. of bond with them in that way. Uh, so, what other places have you lived outside of Ketchikan? Because you, you're from here. Yeah, I was born and you're raised born here. Born and raised here, but you've lived in Ireland, and, and um, you've, you've been in and out, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, well, initially, I, of course, I, I, I went to high school here, graduated, I went, went to school here, graduated from high school here. Um, Go Kings. Went to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. I was down there going, going to music school for several years. Uh, came back to Ketchikan, uh, lived in Juneau for a while, worked for the state, came back to Ketchikan. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Boston for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Speaking uh, of Irish Irish towns, yeah, exactly. Went, went, <laughs> went, went to Boston for about seven years, mm-hmm. six years. Went to Casper, Wyoming, for several years. Okay. Well, I, I heard a discussion a little bit earlier about that. Well, h- how bad could it be? Well, that, that was kind of my thought. It sounds kind of fun. Yeah. 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 
Not bad. It could, it could be anywhere for a year, yeah. right? Yeah. Where um, about, you said you were in L.A. What school did you go to? Uh, Cal State Northridge. Cal State Northridge. Uh, in the Valley. Yep. I, in- I, I'm from that area, actually. Not Northridge specifically, but that, you know, north of L.A. area and uh, know quite a few people that went to CSUN. Yeah. I, I, I went there because at that point they had half a dozen jazz bands. They were the best jazz school in the mm-hmm. West, in, in the West, and I wanted to go to the best school, which was good because I learned that I could I could practice eight hours a day, mm-hmm. and I still wasn't going to catch up with some people. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> Plus, no. see, it's, it's 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 good because too many I think too many people from Ketchikan who have have skills in different areas go south, and maybe they don't try as hard as they can to mm-hmm. succeed, and then they spend the rest of their life saying, "Well, if I had just tried harder." Mm-hmm. I know. Right. I did I, as a saxophone player. I did okay in Los Angeles in my time there. I, I had, had had some decent gigs, played with some good groups. But the reality was, I was never going to be on that level that I wanted to be on. And what what would you attribute to that? Was it because they had a head start, yeah. or they I were mean, just had I mean, frankly, access? I was. I, I don't want. One of my friends in there, also one of my nemesis, was always <laughs> this much ahead of me on because, well. His his uncle was the guy the guy who originally played the Pink Panther theme on on on, oh. on, on <laughs> right so yeah and and he also practiced and this kid for his, to his his um, credit also practiced seven or eight hours a day mm-hmm. so it was like you know I would improve he'd improve mm-hmm. um, when I first got there there were a hundred and nine other freshman saxophone players. Wow! From all the schools out west, all mm-hmm. these were all the kids like me who had been like the big, the big dogs wherever they came mm-hmm. from, and they were all big dogs, and they were bigger dogs than I was. You know? mm-hmm. um, after, by by the time I left after three, after almost four years there, not anywhere near getting my degree, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, there were only about ten of those kids left. Oh wow! So there's like a huge calling of people. Oh yeah, the, the whole idea behind the school was okay. We're going to take you, and we're going to try to break you. Oh wow. And they broke a lot of people, and then they eventually broke me too. Primarily because they said, "You're going to be a teacher," and I said, "No, I want to play. You're going to be a teacher." And mm. Odd enough, I didn't spend most of my life after that being a teacher or, or a journalist. You know, so that was kind of <laughs> fascinating. They, they were right. You know, I, I, I didn't become a teacher, but at the time, I didn't want to be a teacher. Mm. I just wanted to. I just wanted to be the next great. I, I wanted to be the next great Charlie Parker. I, I wanted <laughs> to be the next great saxophone player. Right. You just wanted to play. You just wanted to do your art. You just wanted to exactly. enjoy your life. And you had no aspiration of being mayor of Ketchikan at oh, that time. I, I had no aspiration of coming back to Ketchikan at all. At all. Okay. So you went, So originally when you left, you were like, I'm out of here, man. I'm yeah, gone. Yeah, that's happened at least yeah, twice now. And what, what would you say brings you back here? Like, what is it about Ketchikan that, you know, you have, it, it's very often you leave a place. Now, and here I am. I, I've lived here before also. Uh, I'm not from here, but I've lived here now. I'm back again. So like, I, I have my own thoughts on this. But you know, what is it about Ketchikan that brings you back specifically? Well, um, to, to sort of quote uh, Robert Frost, get back to the fact that I, I'm also I'm, I'm a poet, home is where when you show up, they have to take you in. <laughs> and, and like everyone else, I've had a couple, couple of times when you get out there and things just all fall apart. And, well, where am I going? I'm going home. I'm going home. And the yeah. last time that happened was in 1992, and I'm still here. Oh, wow. So except you, for that, except for that, except for the year I ran off to Ireland to, ran off to, to, Ireland. Get, to get a degree, I, I've been here ever since. And so you've been here. So you've traveled around. You've come back because they have to take you back. <laughs> yes, they do. And then you found this kind of niche for yourself, where you get to, you know, pick up breakfast for your wife to take to 
Parnassus and you get to play in jazz and cabaret and, and, well, and have part, your music yeah, and you yeah, get to... Up, up until a couple of months ago, I also had a full-time job working at the jail as well. I was I was the education coordinator there for, for over a decade. But I finally reached the point where I had enough, enough state service years and I could retire. Mm. And so now now I, I can enjoy that niche. So, you were, so up until recently, you were... A very busy man, because you were yeah, kind of... well, as my wife was saying, I'm, I'm still busy. I still have, like... I, I still teach at the college. I've been mm-hmm. teaching at the college for 28 years now. Oh, wow. Um, I'm still the mayor. I still do a lot of story... I still do a lot of writing for the Daily News and for the Sit mm-hmm. News website. I write history stories and other things. Um, I still have three or four of my jobs. I just, <laughs> right. I just don't have the one that requires me to be anywhere at six in the morning anymore. Oof. Yikes. I am not a morning person like that. More power to you. So no, I, it sounds like you're the type of person who is like a go, go, go. You like well, to be busy or is this or is this out of necessity or because you just love all these things and you well, can't commit to one? Like what's the, what's the one thing that happens in Ketchikan is we tend to do a lot of different things because if we don't do them, they don't get done. Mm. So that's, that's part a good point. Of it. Also, a lot of us tend to have multiple things to do because we want to do things. And maybe our full-time job is not what really sustains us other mm. than financially and you know, have, being sure there's food mm-hmm. on the table. Um, for me, making music, for me, write, writing. And actually, this is, this is going, going back to the music thing. Mm-hmm. This is how I knew when it was time, time to leave music. Was I had a teacher there who said very pointedly, he said, look, if you can imagine doing other things than being a professional musician, do them. Mm. If you cannot breathe if you're not playing an instrument, then do that. And I was yeah. never that way. I always had a lot of interests. I always loved to write. I always loved to, to research, do a lot of different mm-hmm. things, and to act. I, there were a lot of things I, I enjoyed doing. Hmm. Uh, music was just one of those. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, when push came to shove, it was easy enough to say, you know, I can imagine other things. The thing I could not imagine not doing is writing. Mm. I mean, even today, if I sit down and start working on a story, I'll look and go, wow, two hours went by. Mm. It's the best feeling. I I, I was totally in the zone. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, you know, there are times I'm playing an instrument for some performance. I'm going, how long? How much longer? How much longer? Yeah. (laughs) Checking your watch in the clock. Yeah. Yeah. That never happens when I'm writing. Mm. So obviously writing is what I'm meant to do. And so that's a, a... you know, a, a deep felt yeah, passion that's, of that, yours. That's something I have, I, I have no more control over than breathing. Mm, I like that. Not to go back and just keep, you know, back on the music. I was just going to ask you, because it sounds like you've, you've traveled and you've played here in Ketchikan quite a bit. What are some of your favorite places to play? And I'll actually, I'm going to make that a two part favorite places to play or events or shows or whatever that you like to play in Ketchikan. And then some of your favorite places you've played outside of this community. I played in Japan. Oh, well, here's here's Excellent. another thing too. Yeah, my my son my son was in the uh, country uh, western, of course, right? No, no, that was, that was jazz. <laughs> so well, it was jazz and, and 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 one one Japanese folk song. No, actually, my son was in the Kanayama Exchange. Um, oh yeah, seven six, seven years ago. Eight, actually, eight years ago now. Ah, time time passes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one of the chaperones and because I was a musician. They said, "Well, you're gonna have to play a saxophone." So I brought knowing so so, so I brought my uh, I I brought one of my mouthpieces with me. And they, of course, you know, during during one of the presentations, they actually brought me a saxophone and said, "Play this." <laughs> okay. Fortunately, like I said I kind of knew it was coming because I, expect, I expected that. So, I, mm-hmm. so I, I, I had learned how to play Sakura, which is the cherry blossom song. You know, oh dun, yeah. So, so I'm up there basically once again, improvising by myself, just doing mm-hmm. all sorts of. You're running through all of the jazz, and all of a sudden I started playing Sakura. Brought the house down. 
just brought the house down. Yeah. Unexpected. Jimmy, right? He's playing our song. Yeah, so that so all, all, always as they say, it's an important political thing, know your audience. Know your audience. <laughs> um, locally, um, I was fortunate enough to grow up here uh, when Roy McPherson was running mm. the high school music program. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musician. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's entirely mm. that. Um, I grew up like everyone else in Ketchikan, wanting to be a star basketball player. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because I, I was like, you know, five. I, I was almost this height when I was in like the sixth grade. So I was, so oh, okay. was going to be tall and, and I stopped growing. Mm-hmm. And, and plus I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make a jump shot. <laughs> so, Larry uh, Bird, you're not. Is yeah, Larry saying? Bird, I was not. <laughs> um, anyway... Yeah, music basically gave me a purpose and gave me a direction. And I think in a lot of ways, even though, I, as I said before, it proved not to be the overriding passion of my life, it certainly gave me structure and gave me a direction. Mm. And anytime, yeah, no, no matter how strange the gig is, if Roy were to call me tomorrow and say, hey, I need you to do blah, 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 I'll be there. You'd be there. Yeah. I also like playing, of course, at Carl's. Carl's over there. I I think of, of all the local gigs that I do regularly that I like the most. I, I like playing in, in pit bands for first city mm-hmm. players simply because I get to play all the instruments. In, oh in, yeah. Invariably, I'm playing you know flute, saxophone, clarinet, bass, mm-hmm. clarinet, whatever. I, th- Whatever's needed, right? Yeah. To me, that's fun. Yeah, because you get to like play and dabble yeah. and, and yeah, exactly. switch gears I, 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 and I don't yeah. Stretch but, yourself a little. But what, what, the one that I, I probably get the most out of year in and year out is playing at Jazz Cab mm-hmm. because. There are other people involved in that who are not just me and the other 20 folks who are always making music and catching it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always fun to play those because, yeah, you know, folks, you know, the, 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 you know Ann, Ann Phillips and Paul Meyer and Matt mm-hmm. King, people like that show up. And plus, they also challenge me to play better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're out of the community, right, growing and, and you know, well, challenging themselves and they bring that here with they're them. They're professionals. They're, they, they, yeah. they do it for a living. They, they, and they, they show up and if they say, hey, we're going to play blah, blah, blah on this key, I got to play it. You got to play it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want to embarrass myself in front of the guys <laughs> from New York, so I got to play it well and I got to focus. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of the days in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I, I liked being in Cal State. Like One of the cool things was, was the, the place was in the middle of the San Fernando Valley mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> Professional musicians lived all over the place. Louis Belson lived basically next door. Oh wow! You know, lots of major musicians. You know, I got mm-hmm. I got to, I got to play with major groups because I met people, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, and actually raised my game a lot. What what I realized though before I got out was that you know, the reality was, my future if I stayed in music, I was going to be like a an elementary school band teacher somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that was something I, I couldn't get, wrap my brain around. Which is not to say that that's a bad job. That's a great job. It's an important job. Just it's a not crucial for job. you. It was not going to be my job. Mm-hmm. And then the irony was I ended up you know, teaching at the college for 30 years. <laughs> right. And, and teaching music lessons in Ketchikan for 20 years. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And I think anyone who studies any kind of art form really seriously teaches at some point. Because oh, yeah, yeah. you just, there's no way around it, right? You either, yeah. you either, that's the job that you can get to pay the rent or you fall into it. I know I definitely, I started to gravitate into teaching. Um, you know, while, even while I was still dancing professionally, I was like, oh, well, this is, you know, I, I don't want to leave kind of like you were saying with writing, yeah. like I can't imagine my life without yeah. dance. And yeah. so I was like, okay, if I'm going to stay doing this long term, I'm going to have to teach yeah. at some point. But what would be your advice to somebody who is maybe on a similar trajectory to where you were when you left to go to CSUN in LA? Like, what would you be your advice to someone listening right now? My advice is to shoot as high as you can reasonably 
get. Mm. Um, I have run into too many folks, other musicians who grew up here, who will always say to me, well, I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have. Mm. And you don't want to be spending the next 30 years of your life saying, I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of that is, and I'm really proud of him, is, is, is my son's in Arizona playing baseball now. Mm. And he's kept it up through after high school. He's played, he's played in college. He's, he's actually out for a few weeks now because he actually got to, he actually had Tommy John surgery. Mm. He blew his elbow out pitching. But that he's going to come back. He's going to yeah. keep pitching. And is, is his future playing in the major leagues? I have no idea. Yeah. There's Probably no not. He's from Ketchikan, Alaska, just like me. The, 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 the reality is, you, you, when you come from here, you're, you're, you don't have a whole lot of advantages compared to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That said, I, I, I don't want him to ever feel like he quit one step too soon. Mm-hmm. Basically, to everyone in Ketchikan, I say, go out, see what the real world has to offer, mm-hmm. do your best. If it doesn't work out, you can always come home. Mm-hmm. You know, they we, have to take you in. We, we have to take you in, <laughs> and, and and we're glad to take you in. And actually, it was funny because several years ago, as when I was first the borough mayor back in two thousand and eight or nine, I was the commencement speaker at K High. Because well, K High graduate mayor, must be. Yeah. And I got up there, and my main st- statement was, "Okay, you've graduated. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Go somewhere. Do something. Learn something. Whatever you want. Just, just, just." just leave and i had mm-hmm. parents say you're telling our kids to leave i said no i'm telling them to go out learn something mm-hmm. then if they want come back yeah don't just say catch can's the best place in the world without having been to the rest of the world mm-hmm. go out see what's there then if you really want to come back come back and, and improve our community by bringing back what you learn from the outside mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's a that's really really great that advice. was controversial because you're telling our children to leave well, yeah, but I'm also telling them to come back. Mm-hmm. They didn't hear the come back part, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like with the, you know, not to tie back into the last thing, but you have, with, you know, the race to Alaska, and, you know, you have to leave your safe harbor sometimes. Absolutely. You can't just stay yeah. in Thomas Basin. you got to go out and explore, but that doesn't mean that you can't come back home yeah. to your lighthouse. and, and I, I totally get, get it when back. people tell me that Ketchikan is the best place in the world and they couldn't imagine living anywhere else and they want to live here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hundred percent. I, 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 I get that. That said, I always say, well, what do you have to compare it to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What's your, what's I mean, your frame of reference? What's your if scope? You, like? if you, I, when I grew up in Ketchikan, people didn't travel in this, this is back in the sixties. So it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was back a ways. People didn't travel as much as they travel now. Right. Um, I had high school classmates who'd never been to Wrangell. Oh, Wow. I still okay. remember going on a band trip to Washington, Oregon, and we had to stop the bus by a field of cows and bulls because several <laughs> of the people in the band had never seen cows and bulls. They never, never seen a cow before. Yeah, so we had to stop. Oh, well, cow! Like, <laughs> the, you know the beef you eat at the yeah, at, yeah. at the restaurant. That, the that's, steak. That's where it comes. That's from. where it comes from. <laughs> um, and to me, that always strikes me as kind of a narrow life. Mm. But that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's something to be said for being you know, proud of your hometown yeah. and, and having, like you said, and, and wanting to live somewhere, especially somewhere that's as awesome as catch can. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not nothing like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Santa Clarita, California. Yes, I did. Uh, they, they call Santa themselves, Clarita wash. Yes. They call themselves awesome town. Oh, well, of course. <laughs> Every but, town is awesome town. But you know, even somewhere like that, I mean, the, the difference I think between someplace like Ketchikan and someplace like Santa Clarita is you could grow up in Santa Clarita, but you're going to go to another area because you can just drive there, right? Yeah. And it's so difficult sometimes to get off the rock. As we were saying yeah. earlier, it's not Alcatraz, but and it's not a prison, but it's, sometimes it's, it's difficult to get out of here and 
people who find the means. I mean, even if you were to go on a vacation somewhere and just soak up the sun and just know what that feels like, or go somewhere for fun, go even to go to Seattle and just yep. experience that next tier of something. Like, cause we have really great art here in Ketchikan. Like, we have some of the best art in, in the world. Honestly. I mean, when you look at some of the, the things that we have here, like wearable art show, or even, you know, jazz cab and like some of the stuff that Ketchikan theater ballet does and first city mm-hmm. players does, we have some of the best art in the world, but you have to, like you said, you have to have that reference for it. Like what, what makes it good? Like, it's not even to compare it and say, Oh, this thing is better in this other place. It's like, why, why is jazz cab and why is wearable? And why is our nutcracker like so good? Like what makes it that way? Well, we, we, we make our own fun. Exactly. Because we have to. We have to. We have no choice. We, ha- we don't have any choice. We, we have, and, it's and a so, natural pressure. And so you have intensely creative people in this town mm. who do things. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I just remember, I just remember a, a particular gig that I really enjoyed. I was in high school, and actually, I, I actually had, had to fill in several times with uh, KTB because yes. there, weren't, there were never enough guys. So, that, so, so Mrs. Klepser would always grab like four <laughs> or five of us and say, uh-huh. stand there. and Yeah, do this, lift. move this. Yeah. Yeah, move. But one time, in order, she, she actually moved me and she said, you can do music. And they, they had this piece. There was this jazz piece. Mm, okay. And I basically improvised saxophone the, for like about 30 minutes while, 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 while the dancers danced around. That's awesome. And that was cool. That is really that cool. That was a good game. Well, we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah. I know we will because I would love to recreate some of that stuff. I love talking to Virginia Klepser yeah. about her whole story. I'll have to get her, yeah. her in here at some point yeah. if I can. She's super busy. But if I can, that would be amazing. She's an amazing woman. Yeah. And Dave... Sounds like you're an amazing guy. You obviously are. You've lived an amazing life. I learned a lot about you. I know, you know, you can know someone for a long time. You can look them up online and, or, you know, look at your Facebook and see your about info. But how many people knew that you lived in Ireland? How many people knew that story about CSUN and all of those yep. things? So I just want to say thank you for joining me today. And I hope to have you back soon. Absolutely. And just, uh, just call. Yeah, of course. And to all of you out there. And happy St. Patrick's Day, folks. Happy St. Patrick's Day. You heard it here from the mayor of the sailing capital of Alaska. There we go. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we're going to get you back to the hits here on KTKN and catchcanradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to First City Forum. I'm your host, Zach. Have a great, safe, wonderful St. Patrick's Day weekend.